I know it's been a few days since the trading deadline went down, but I needed a few days to really digest everything that happened because holy moly was it one of the wildest trade deadlines I've ever seen. Probably the greatest trade deadline I've ever seen. Welcome to Meeting on the Mound for another episode of Jake's Takes. I'm Jake Reiner. So let's talk about this trade deadline. Why was it in my opinion, the best of all time. Well, for one, there was only one trade deadline. Most years, you'll see the trade deadline on July 31st and then the waiver trade deadline on August 31st. But this year, they eliminated the August deadline and just made one. And I think that helped other teams basically ramp up their urgency Whether you're a team that was selling at the deadline, so teams that needed to get rid of players were kind of forced to get rid of players because if they waited till the offseason, most of these guys become free agents. So they needed to get some value for them now. Then you look at the teams that were buying. Well, this is their only shot to really retool for that final playoff push, the final 60 games to the end of the regular season. And you can't just say, well, let's see if this guy's value drops between now and August 31st, and maybe we can get him at a better price. No, this is your one shot to get him, and that's what happened. And that's why you saw a ton of different players move, and not just the quantity of players, but the quality of the players. Numerous all-stars, numerous World Series champions on the move to better teams, to good teams looking to make the playoffs. I think with Major League Baseball toying with the idea of doing expanded playoffs may change how the trade deadline works. Because if you have more teams that are involved in the in the race for the playoffs, you may not see as many teams selling. Therefore, not as many players will be on the move. So that'll be an interesting storyline to follow if and when MLB decides to expand the playoffs beyond what it is now. Let's talk about why I think the trade deadline is one of the greatest days in sports. The MLB trade deadline is better than any trade deadline in any other sport. And I'm not sure why that is, but you don't see as many high-profile players or the amount of players move in the NFL or even in the NBA. You do see a lot more trades done in the NBA than the NFL, but still not as much as Major League Baseball. And I think it's because teams in Major League Baseball have more players to move and they have the minor league. So there are a ton more players um, at their disposal to be able to um, flip them for better uh, major league talent. So I think that's one of the reasons why you see so many trades in major league baseball. The reason I love the MLB trade deadline is because you're getting to see what teams are made of. You're getting to see who's buying and who's selling. And for those that are buying, it's it's an amazing moment for that for those franchises because they're getting that much better, at least they think they are, in order to make a push for the playoffs. You look at the NL West, for example. You've got three teams bunched up at the top, and two of those three teams are 
Well, I should say, I believe all three of those teams are going to make the playoffs. And that kind of changes the landscape in the rest of the National League because you got the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants at the top of the NL West. And then if any other team wants to make the playoffs, they essentially have to win their division. And right now, the only division that's really up for grabs is the NL East, the NL Central. The Brewers are kind of running away with that. So if you you are the the Cardinals or the Reds, you may not decide that you want to be buyers or sellers. You have the option to figure out what you want to do for the rest of the season. That's why it's so exciting. But I think it all depends on how the Padres do because they're in third place in the NL West. And if teams feel that they can chase them and beat them, then by all means, go all in. And I think that's what you saw with the Braves making all the moves that they did, all the outfield help that they did once they lost Ronald Acuna Jr. because they're trying to overtake the Mets. And if they can't overtake the Mets, then they got to look at the Padres. Specifically in the NL Central, you've got the Cardinals and the Reds trying to chase the Padres as well because the Brewers are so much better in that division. So let's get into what we saw during the trade deadline. The Dodgers, I believe, and I know I'm biased because I am a Dodgers fan, but I believe the Dodgers were the big winners of the trade deadline. On paper, they made the best move. They got the most talent, the most bang for their buck by acquiring Max Scherzer, a future Hall of Famer, a World Series champion, multiple Cy Young Award winner, adding him to that rotation that features Walker Bueller, who's in the running for the NL Cy Young this year, Julio Urias, who's been unbelievable, Clayton Kershaw, who's been banged up, but he's on his way back. I mean, that starting rotation is now elite once again. And the Dodgers did give up a lot of talent to get both Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. They gave up their two best prospects, Kiebert Ruiz and Josiah Gray. And I, you know, I'm all about getting, you know, you've got to give up talent to get talent. And as we know with Andrew Friedman, he likes holding on to his prospects for dear life. But at this moment, he felt that this was the right move to make. This was a win now move. This was a, this was a move to basically say to the fan base and to the players, we're trying to win back-to-back World Series titles. And with Clayton Kershaw, Justin Turner, Kenley Jansen, the older guys on the roster, this may be their, you know, final moment to get a World Series title. So they don't want to waste another year of their time in Dodger Blue to do that. So I think the Dodgers did win the uh, MLB trade deadline. Also, getting Trey Turner. I mean, people people know Max Scherzer. They they you know, tout him as the uh, the prize possession of that deal. But I I tend to think that Trey Turner may be more valuable in the long run. I mean, this guy is a perennial all-star. He was, uh, he's been an all-star. He's a World Series champion as well in 2019. He can play shortstop, second base, and center field. He's got tremendous speed. He's got good power. He's a right-handed bat, which the Dodgers needed. And it just adds to this lineup that is already an all-star lineup to begin with. And you've got guys coming back. Seager's back. Mookie Betts is back. So 
for the Dodgers to add Trey Turner to this lineup is only going to make them scarier. And I think what the Dodgers decided was that we need to win this division. We don't want to be caught in a one-game playoff in the wild card race. We want this division. And so if they can put together an incredible run and take this division away from the Giants, I think this move is a good start to trying to do that. The biggest L in the trade dead uh, of the trade deadline was the Seattle Mariners. They are on the cusp of trying to make the wild card spot, one of the two wild card spots in the American League. And for the life of me, I don't know why they decided to trade their closer, Kendall Graveman, to the Astros, who are also in their division. To me, if you are trying to be buyers at the deadline, you keep your closer. I mean, he had an ERA under one. You trade him to the Astros, make them better. At least you got Diego Castillo from the Rays. But that guy's already blown a save for you. So what does that tell you? My opinion... You should have kept Graveman and gotten Castillo. Then your bullpen's even better. But no, they they traded away their closer. The players in the clubhouse did not like that move. And I don't know. I don't know if the Mariners are going to be able to do it. I mean, they're three games out of the wild card race. They're tied with the Yankees. They're both three games out behind Boston and Oakland. When they made that trade, I believe they were one game out. So I don't know what they're doing over there in Seattle, but they've got a really good team and they may be overperforming right now, but Hey, if, if I'm the Seattle Mariners, if I'm, if I'm the GM, Jerry DePoto, I'm saying, screw the peripherals, screw the, the fact that we're overperforming and it may not be sustainable for the rest of the season. Screw that, ride that, ride that momentum. Get stronger, get better. Overall losers of the trade deadline has to go in the American League with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and in the National League, the Colorado Rockies. First with the Angels, my goodness. I don't think there's any team that I, I don't think there's any team in Major League Baseball that I'm more disappointed with than the Anaheim Angels. And it's weird because it actually, they actually get me upset And I thought I could only be upset with the Dodgers losing. Like, I felt like that was the only thing that could get me really, really furious. But no, it's the Angels because of what it means for Major League Baseball. That's why I can't stand them. Because they've got Mike Trout. They've got Shohei Otani, two of arguably the greatest players of their generation could be the greatest players of all time. And what do they have to show for it? Dick. That's what they have to show for it. Absolutely nothing. They've made the playoffs once in Mike Trout's career. They've done nothing to address their pitching. They've developed zero arms, which is probably why they went out and drafted a ton of arms during this latest draft because finally they decided to do something about it. But then there was a report that came out that they treated their minor leaguers like crap. Well, that is not a good thing either. So they've got to treat their minor leaguers better. They've got to develop their pitching and build a winner. And for the Angels, with with the payroll that they have, with the stars that they have, in the market that they're playing in, for them to be quote-unquote sellers again at the deadline, they gave away Andrew Haney, one of their 
quote-unquote best starters. And don't get me started on Andrew Haney. I think he is definitely overrated. They they thought he was going to be great, but he's he's got like an ERA over five. And they traded him to the Yankees, and he got lit up by the Orioles. I don't know what they're doing over there. But the only pitcher that's worth anything is Shohei Otani. I thought they had something in Dylan Bundy. He pitched well last year, but this year he's been terrible. Alex Cobb, he's been decent. But to me, it's like, if you're the Angels, it's just like the Yankees. Like, you can't afford to be sellers at the deadlines. Like the Yankees, they can't, even. it doesn't matter how far out the Yankees are. And now the Yankees are, in, are within striking distance of the wild card spot. Maybe not the division, but they totally saw a light at the end of the tunnel and decided to go for it, even though... It kind of didn't really make sense at the time when they picked up Gallo and they picked up Rizzo. But hey, they think they've got a shot and their fan base would never let them live it down. Whereas the Angels fan base, I don't know how they feel about it, but if I was an Angels fan, I'd be livid that your team again, they're seven and a half out of the wild card. They're nowhere near the division. They're in fourth behind the behind the Mariners. They're seven and a half out. They're not getting that. Yeah. So again, I, I, but, but the thing is, is like, it's not like they were neither buyers nor sellers. They, yes, they gave up Andrew Haney, but they held on to Rysel Iglesias, their closer. So if they're going to sell, they didn't do a good job of that either. They were buyers. They didn't do a good job of that. I don't know what they're doing over there. So they're, they're one of the biggest losers of the trade deadline. The other biggest losers, the Colorado Rockies, not being able to move Trevor Story, they may not get anything for him now because if I'm Trevor Story, I don't want to stay in Colorado at all, given what they did to Nolan Aronado in the past offseason. They've not done anything to improve that roster. If I'm Trevor Story, I'm getting the hell out of there. The one thing that I did that I did thought the that I did think the Rockies did well was they held on to their starters, Herman Marquez and John Gray. A lot of people probably would say, why didn't they give up on those guys? But I think that they've found guys that it can actually pitch well at Coors Field. And so they're trying to hold on to them and maybe they can keep Marquez and John Gray in the long run and build a rotation around them. I don't mind that. I think that's actually a pretty good move. And if um, they can get those guys to stay there and continue to produce, maybe they can figure something out. I mean, their offense is always going to be there. And they've always got a good offense. And if they can hold on to Trevor Story, maybe they can build something around him. But I don't think he's going to want to stay. So those are my two biggest losers of the trade deadline, the Angels and the Rockies. The players that are mashing in their debuts with new clubs, wow, are all former Cubs. I mean, yes, we could talk about uh, other players that are that are doing well in new places. But it just struck me that Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, and Chris Bryant Rizzo went to the Yankees, Javier Baez went to the Mets, and Chris Bryant went to the Giants. All three of them hit home runs in their debuts with the new with their new clubs. Pretty impressive. Anthony Rizzo hit a hit a couple of home runs in his debut. So those are those are really interesting uh players that were moved at the deadline. The Cubs did a fire sale, so did the Washington Nationals. And so, yeah, that's why I like the trade deadline. It's like you're getting to see these players in uniforms you never would have pictured. I could never picture Rizzo in a Yankees uniform. There are certain players when they get new numbers where it's just like, mm, I don't see it. And then Chris Bryan is a giant. That looks weird too. Let's talk about 
fake news and fake reporters. It seems as though every time the trade deadline comes up, there are these accounts that are made to look like real accounts, like uh, a Jeff Passan, who uh, is a reporter for ESPN. He had a, a, a fake account uh, tweet out some some bogus trade information that was not true. I was fooled a couple of times um, when it was reported that the Dodgers were still in talks with Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. There were a couple of times where someone made their account look like the the Dodgers' official Twitter account, and it looked like they were tweeting that they officially got those players when, in fact, it was fake. It just sucks. I mean, I know people are doing it for a laugh, and they're doing it because, I don't know, they want attention, but I think it sucks, especially when you're going to get these moves anyway. You're going to get these trades done anyway. You're going to see the news anyway from the verified actual accounts. And for people to kind of uh, tweet these just bogus reports, it's just so frustrating, especially, you know, because I'm a reporter myself and I know how hard it is uh, to, you know, in this climate, in this, in this world we're living in to feel like people can trust you. And when you've got all these fake reporters out there tweeting these things it's just it just bothers me so much and and also like there are other accounts out there that are tweeting um things that they think they hear rumors that they think they hear and tweeting it out as fact and turns out not to be not to be true and 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 the other aspect of it is is that players are on social media too and imagine if you're a player that has been rumored to be on the trade block and you get a you see a tweet from what you think is a reputable source i mean you know it just causes more discomfort more stress than it needs to be I think the trade deadline is great as it is. And look at all the trades that we got. Look at all the players we got to see trade spaces and go to different teams. I mean, the excitement is still there. We don't need all of these idiots out there adding to the just the the, the garbage that's that's out there. I mean, we just don't need it. And so it just bothers me. And I wish it wasn't a thing. And I wish that people cared more about fake news and fake news reporters for sports than they do for news. Because I feel like it's just kind of accepted that like, oh, yeah, that, you know, we're going to get this every time around and whatever. No, it should it, it, it should be held to the same standard of people that tweet bogus information out in the news business. And for me as a reporter, I just look at it and it just disappoints me and I wish it wasn't a thing. And uh, I think we just have to do better. Finally, Jake's Jake is back. And this week we're talking about a pretty good Jake. Jake Cronenworth, the second baseman slash first baseman. He's also listed as a shortstop on baseball reference, but I've never seen him play there. Jacob John Cronenworth is his full name. He's 27 years old, and this is his second year in the league. He's having an unbelievable season for the Padres with a slash line of 279, 351, 477, 15 home runs, 48 RBIs, 23 doubles. He earned his first all-star selection as a reserve this year. And then on July 16th, in his first game since the All-Star break, he hit for the cycle versus the Nationals. So he is tearing it up right now. A little bit of background on Jake Cronenworth. He's from St. Clair, Michigan and played baseball at the University of Michigan. He is a Wolverine. He was then drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays in the seventh round of the 2015 draft. And fun fact, in 2019, while with the Durham Bulls, which is the AAA affiliate of the Rays, he pitched in seven games 
and he didn't allow a run in seven and a third innings. So he pitched seven and a third scoreless innings while striking out nine, which is still really cool to me. I know we have Shohei Otani and we've got a lot of players in the major leagues that are good hitters that are also pitchers. And it's, and it's starting to be a little more commonplace, but it still, it still boggles me when guys that are playing professional baseball can still pitch at an elite level while also being an elite offensive player and defensive player. So that to me is still a cool thing. Cronenworth was then traded by the Rays to the Padres, along with Tommy Pham in 2019. That was the Hunter Renfro swap. So he came over. wasn't I don't think many people realized how good of a player the Padres were were getting, and in fact, probably more valuable than Tommy Pham in that trade. Although Tommy Pham was kind of the headliner in that move. He had an impressive rookie year, and I got to be honest, I had never heard of him before the Dodgers started playing the uh, the Padres, and this guy just started destroying the Dodgers. I mean, out of nowhere, this guy was unbelievable. He had his first career home run on August 4th against Dustin May of the Dodgers. He had an impressive rookie year in 2020. He slashed 285, 354, 477, four home runs, 20 RBIs, 15 doubles, and three triples in 50-plus games in 2020. Remember, that was the shortened season. He ended up winning NL Rookie of the Month in August after hitting 356 with 16 extra base hits, 17 RBIs, and 20 runs scored over 31 games. And then he tied for second in NL Rookie of the Year voting with Alec Bohm of the Phillies. The two of them lost out to Devin Williams, the relief pitcher of the Brewers. So already this guy is lighting the world on fire. He is a hitting machine, and it's One of the main reasons why the Padres were trying to unload Eric Hosmer because Cronenworth has essentially taken over that starting role at first base because the Padres went out and got Adam Frazier, who was, you know, an all-star with the Pittsburgh Pirates. So I don't know that Eric Hosmer contract is looking worse and worse by the day, but the Padres are stacked just like the Dodgers and the Giants are stacked. And so it's going to be a fun race to watch. The NL West is probably going to be the most exciting race to watch down the stretch because you've got three of the best teams in the National League all fighting to take over first place and also fight to make those two wildcard spots. You're going to see those three teams, I believe, all in the playoffs uh, along with the Brewers and possibly Mets. Although, I don't know. I think the the, the Braves have a shot. But yeah, this is going to be a fun Last 50-plus games of the season, I'm excited. The trade deadline was awesome. You got to see teams retool. You got to see teams get better. It's a, it's a big reset. And I know that technically, in terms of the amount of games that are left, it is not the quote-unquote second half. It is not, you know, 80. we're not at 81 games and we have 81 to go. But I truly believe that after the trade deadline is the true second half of the season. It's the true second push where you get to see the elite teams get even better and the competition get even more intense and more fierce. So that's why I think the trade deadline is one of the best days of the season because it is an all-out push to make the playoffs and then road to the World Series. 
Thank you for joining me for another episode of Meeting on the Mound. You can follow me on Twitter at Reiner underscore Jake. We also have a Twitter account for Meeting on the Mound, also an Instagram account that you can follow. And yeah, let's do it, folks. 